All right, here we go. Mark chapter 8 is where we're going to be. And as we are making our way there, uh, we today, um, today we're going to talk about a subject that I really care about. It's a subject that, that I think is going to inspire us a little bit or maybe challenge us a bit. But it's a, it's a conversation about influence. Uh, we have a fair bit of family coming in for Thanksgiving. I don't know if you guys have family coming in for Thanksgiving, um, but, but we have a, a bunch of people who are going to be traveling from out of town and, and visiting our home, and, uh, and so we're trying to arrange where everybody's going to sleep. Uh, this, is, this is a difficult task, uh, arranging where people are going to sleep, uh, uh, especially when, when you don't have a home that can fit everybody who is supposed to come to sleep. And so, you know, they're going to sleep in different places. Uh, we, we've, we figured out, though, that we have this kind of sectional sofa that could become a bed for two. So, you know, Cassandra and her sister, uh, or rather, Cassandra's sister and her husband are going to be sleeping there. At least we, we, we want them to sleep there. But we, but we want them to, we want to be great hosts. And so what we did was we tested the bed out before we make them sleep there, right? Um, to see, you know, is this comfortable enough for a, an adult human being to sleep on? And, and what we found out about eight seconds into laying on it is that no chance. No one, in, no one would ever want to sleep there. In fact, we didn't decide that. Our, our backs decided that uh, there was going to be no chance. So what we wanted to do, one thing led to another, and we thought, you know what, let's just go buy a mattress topper. You buy a mattress topper, if it's thick enough, you know, three or four inches, you know, it, it'll, it'll work out. So we did some research, and the great thing about buying things online is that you can do research before you buy things. The worst thing about buying things online is that you have to do research before buying things. Like when you go to Costco, you just trust what Costco puts on the shelf and you just go, that's good enough for us. You know, like we'll just take whatever Costco decides. But when you buy things online, you got to watch videos and read reviews. And so that's what I did. You know, uh, Cassandra was like, let's buy this mattress topper. I said, babe, I'm going to do some research because we want to be good hosts. I did not know this, but there are people who make their living making videos about mattress toppers. (laughs) You might think that's a very small segment of the population who would like a mattress topper, but man, these guys have hundreds and thousands of subscribers on on YouTube. So I get on YouTube and I watch, you know, 10 or 15 videos on mattress toppers. I read, you know, hundreds of reviews. I'm watching people on these toppers, you know, laying on the toppers. And their job is basically to convince me that I should buy the thing they, they say. So after, you know, watching all these videos, I settled on a guy that I thought he had credibility. You know, I thought to myself, this guy likes sleeping. You know, this is the type of guy I want to listen to. And so what he does is he lays on the mattress topper and he films himself himself and you watch it. And I don't know what came over me, but I am watching this guy sleep on a mattress topper. And then he, and then he says, you know, oh, this is, this is the best mattress topper for back sleeping. And then I thought to myself, wow, there's a whole category of like back sleeping mattress toppers, side sleeping mattress toppers, belly sleeping mattress toppers. And, and in the video, he said, you know, before you watch this video, make sure you know what type of sleeper you are. So I thought I have to call these guys and find out what type of <laughs> sleeper are these people. Because there are some that are better for side sleepers, for back sleepers. I found out there are some mattress toppers that are better for hot sleepers. I didn't even know that was a thing. But after spending more hours than I thought it was even possible to spend, I finally pulled the trigger on a particular mattress topper. You know, I went online, found the budget one that fit my whatever, whatever, whatever. And honestly, at the end of the day, I have no idea whether or not it's comfortable when I made the purchase, but I found a voice 
that I allowed to influence me. But that's the way it works, right? In purchasing things, we find a voice that we allow to influence us. And it really doesn't matter who you allow to influence you when we're talking about mattress toppers or choosing the right car or, like, like really, who cares? But when we talk about bigger things, like how you decide to parent or how you engage in, with your husband or wife or how you spend your life or how to care for your emotional health or, or your soul's well-being, uh, what I've learned, and may, you believe this too, is that we should pay careful attention to the voices that we allow to influence us. And some things, it doesn't matter. But in other things, it really matters. You know, much has been said in the last decade or so about influence, and particularly the noun form of that word, the influencer. An influencer is a, a person who, is in a, who has a niche, an, an industry that, that he works on that, that can target a specific audience. All, all, influencers have the authority or the insight into a specific area, and so they become kind of like a launching pad for brands who are in search of their credibility. The influencer is not a modern invention, though. The person who leads trends or creates hype or tries to persuade the masses into a particular direction isn't original to YouTube or to TikTok or to Instagram. The concept, in fact, has been around forever. Since the beginning of time, men have been trying to sway other people to do what they want them to do. Today, we just have the influencer you know, thing on steroids, right? You have people on Instagram who are dad influencers, financial influencers, beauty influencers, sport influencers, people you know, trying to persuade you to buy a video game or to get a certain type of credit card or buy a mattress topper. And they have tremendous influence on the audience's decision making. And if, 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 so much so that if they say something is better, then you believe that it's better. We trust them. We trust them. And what they do is they steer our beliefs and they steer our decision-making. And no matter what you say about yourself, we all have people that we allow to influence us. That is to say, we are all influenced to beliefs and to decision-making by someone. The question that we have to think about is not whether or not we have people that influence us. The question as we approach Mark chapter 8 is who do we allow to have influence over us? Again, in some things, it doesn't matter. Who cares who you listen to if you're buying shower curtains? But you should really think, you should really think before you listen to someone as they describe the way a marriage should be. That really matters. And one of the major crises of the world that we're living in right now is that we have so many voices that hard, it's often it's hard for us to discern who we're supposed to listen to. And look, if we listen to the wrong people, it has potential to have catastrophic implications in our life. This is the subject of Mark chapter 8. So as we begin there, let's just keep that in mind and then let's go through the context of the passage. Is everyone with me? All right, here we go. <clears throat> Mark chapter 8, verse 10. He got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of the Dalmanutha. That's where we are. This is immediately after the feeding of the 4,000. That's the story we read last week. Jesus gets in the boat, and we looked at this map last week, but we'll look at it one more time. Jesus is in this southwestern part of, or south, 
oh, that's the wrong dot, but southeastern part of the Sea of Galilee. He's somewhere over here in this place called the Decapolis. It's moving. It's moving. <laughs> go back. There's no way to make it go back, right? Let's try it again. All right, here we go. Fast. He's over here somewhere, and the story goes that he's crossing over here to a place called the Magdala, which is the place called the Damuthala. It's the same exact place, okay? This map doesn't really work for us, but amen. Jesus is in the boat. So he's on the southeast side of the Sea of Galilee. He crosses over to this, to this place. And as Jesus arrives there, the Bible tells us that there are some people waiting for him. Verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, to test him. They asked him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. The Pharisees are waiting for him. The Pharisees are this Jewish religious group that had this kind of strict adherence to the Torah and also to the tradition of their elders. So we've met them a bunch in this series. But, but, but here they get word that Jesus is on his way and that his boat has landed. And when, they, when Jesus arrives, they're on the sea, just waiting for him. And they're there to test him. That's what the Bible says. And they're asking him, what sign will you give us that shows us that you are from God? Now that's interesting because last I checked, Jesus has done some amazing miracles in this exact area. And the Pharisees on numerous occasions would have acknowledged that he was a miracle worker. So what are they asking for? Well, in light of the qualifying phrase to test him, we know that they're looking for something else. In fact, the concept of a sign from heaven in later Jewish literature signifies kind of like a token, which would guarantee that, guarantee that the person who's speaking is truthful. So the demand for a sign is not necessarily a request for another miracle. The requirement or the request for a sign is a demand that Jesus would demonstrate that he, his legitimacy to do all the things that he did. In other words, the Pharisees are saying, what you have done doesn't prove that you are from God. We need you to give us some definitive proof that God has sent you. Now, for most people, the fact that he fed 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread would be definitive proof, I would imagine. That would be enough. But for these guys, and this is the key point here, it was never going to be enough. They were never going to be satisfied. So Jesus sighs and go, look, I, I'm, I, I'm not giving you anything. Nothing will be given to you. Truly, no sign will be given to you. AKA, I'm not giving you anything. He adds in the parallel passage in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 16 that the only sign he's going to give them is the sign of Jonah. Jonah was in a whale for three days or in a fish for three days, and then he was regurgitated. And Jesus is saying, the sign I'm going to give you is I'm going to be in a tomb for three days, and then I'm going to resurrect that's the only sign I'm giving you. Then we read this. He left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. Jesus turns on a dime, gets back in the boat, and leaves. And this abrupt departure from the Pharisees is supposed to give us sort of a vis visible representation of his indignation. He is done with these people. And this is big, right? Because Jesus is making another judgment on these guys that even if they, uh, rather, that, that because they've refused to see, 
he's not going to give them even another sliver of evidence. And Jesus is turning his back in this moment on their corruption and the corrupting system that these guys have established. So he gets in the boat, and remember the disciples are with him. He just crossed over. He gets there. They're like, give me a sign. He's like, no. He gets back in the boat, and the 12 guys are with him. And then the Bible adds this quick little detail that we're going to note for later. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except one loaf that they had with them in the boat. Let's note that. Then Jesus uses the interaction he just had with the Pharisees to teach them something about discipleship. And here's the lesson. He pulls him close. On the side of the sea, on the seashore, are the Pharisees. I I could just picture them still looking at the boat. And Jesus has pulled his disciples in, and this is what he says. Be careful. Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. In the parallel passage in Matthew, he adds, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus has just rejected the the Pharisees and he uses this metaphor of yeast to describe the impact that they have on people. Now, when we talk about yeast, we're talking about something very specific. We're talking about the ability of a minute amount of something to impregnate itself in that thing and then to corrupt the whole. That's what we're talking about. My wife is an amazing wife. By the way, today is Cassandra's birthday. Um, And we, on Saturday, we do, we, we, we typically have like a Sabbath where we don't do anything. We don't pick up our phones. We don't watch TV. We just kind of, you know, rest and, and chill out. And typically on Sabbath, my wife will make sourdough bread, this thing right here. Yes, it's amazing. And pretty much all day, we'll just eat it. And the kids will say, can I have some bread? And we'll just eat bread all day long. It's amazing. It's like the greatest thing. That, this is sourdough bread. The way you make sourdough bread is you put 700 grams of flour and water. You mix it together, and then you put 25 grams, so like 4% of the total mixture of yeast or of leaven or of sourdough starter. You take a tablespoon of this, and you put it into the mixture. And what happens is when you put it inside, the yeast feeds on the sugars in the flour. It releases carbon dioxide that makes the bread rise. If you have no yeast, the bread is flat. With yeast, the bread rises. And what actually happens is so interesting is it changes the chemical composition of the bread. Just this little bit of yeast corrupts the whole batch of dough. That's the metaphor. And this metaphor is, both, is popular both in Jewish literature and also Hellenistic literature. It was a common metaphor. In fact, Paul would say it twice. A little bit of yeast works through the whole batch of dough. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and Galatians chapter 5. And we see that, that warning. What, what is the warning then? He's saying, hey, be careful because if you let their teachings influence you, it will corrupt your faith. This is the point. He's, he's, he's basically saying, hey, beware. They're, they have corrupting power. Not just the Pharisees though, Herod too. And also the Sadducees. We talked a little bit about the Pharisees. The Pharisees are a picture of like legalism. No grace at all. And you could think about how that might corrupt your faith. But then he mentions the Sadducees and then Herod. The Sadducees were a religious group that recognized the Torah but rejected the resurrection. They also rejected kind of miracles in general. 
they would be kind of a viewpoint of like a progressive theologian. And then we have Herod, Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great. And he would have been the secular ruler of Galilee. He's a skeptic. Maybe he's even an atheist. He's certainly, beyond all those things, a rationalist. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I I want you guys to be warned. And we have to take some time on this group of people because it's really rich. Jesus, again, has just finished rejecting the religious leaders. He pulls the disciples close and says, hey, beware, Not not just of the Pharisees, not just of the Sadducees, not just of Herod, beware of all of them. What is he trying to say? Well, well, that don't allow their views to influence you. That's the, that's the prime idea here. Because if you subscribe to their theology, and we're going to get to why in a second, even if you subscribe to a little bit of their theology, it's going to corrupt your whole life. The Pharisees with their legalism, the Sadducees with their liberalism, and the Herodians with their secularism. Beware, watch out, I'm warning you. Now the inclusion of those three groups is important because Jesus isn't just warning us against the secular. He's not just saying, you know, you got to be on your guard against the world. He's not saying that. He isn't just saying, hey, you need to be on your guard against the hypocrisy of the Pharisees or their legalism. But instead, he's warning his disciples of all of the corrupting ideologies of the world. And I mentioned this slide. I put this slide up three times in three different ways just because I want to hammer it home. He's warning us a small amount of their worldview can be corrupting. When you allow their worldview to take residence in your heart and mind, over time it will eat away at the sweetness of the gospel in our life and decompose the very essence of our souls. That's the point. They have fine-sounding arguments that can toss you back and forth. And you, if you listen to them, will be carried away by all of their ideas. And Jesus is also telling us, and this is so vital, that you and I are vulnerable to allowing terrible ideas to influence the way we think and behave. Brothers and sisters, I want to lay this out. Everything you hear everything you see, every show that you watch, every TikTok you indulge, every Netflix episode, every video game you play, every article you read, if you aren't on guard, will implant itself in your heart and mind. And if it's not in line with the gospel of Jesus, will corrupt your soul. This is why the scriptures spend so much time asking you to train your mind. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't just accept everything you hear. Watch out. Be on your guard. You know, in preparation for this lesson, I thought a lot about what Jesus would have told me while I was sitting in that boat. Instead of the Sea of Galilee, I imagined we were in the Atlantic Ocean. (laughs) And he's like, come. And he pulls me onto the boat, or maybe he pulls you onto the boat, what would he say? I'm going to take a shot at it. These are like five or six things that I think he probably would say to us. Maybe he would say, watch out for social media influencers. 
who make happiness into something you can only achieve if you look better or are richer or have more things. Maybe you would tell us to watch out for them because they teach that true joy can only be attained if we look like them or have what they have. And that they miss that the gospel teaches that real joy comes as a gift by the Spirit of God. And I don't know, maybe you and I have believed that lie and it's corrupted our ability to find real happiness. Maybe we're on the boat and he would say to us something like this, hey, watch out for those rational academics who use rationalization to minimize the power of faith that teach us that life can be found, that meaning can be found in this life alone, that there is nothing more than you or greater than you and and, and that you need to be just a good person to find meaning in life. And maybe Jesus would tell us to watch out for them because they miss that we have been wired for eternity. And in fact, we need something greater than us who knows more than us. And that if we put our faith in a God in heaven, that we are not shackled to a religion, but instead we're freed from our self-centered narcissism. And I don't know if you've believed that, that idea that rationalization or rationalism is the only way you describe the whole world. But maybe you have and it's corrupted your ability to find faith. Or maybe he would tell you to watch out for the media who really only care about their wallets, who tried to divide, score points by punching those who are on the other side of the aisle. Maybe Jesus would say, be on your guard because otherwise you will start to hate your brother or sister. And they will corrupt you into putting your hope into elected officials. And that corruption will lead to cause division in Christ's church that he died to unite. And I don't know, maybe you believe that lie. And it's corrupted your ability to love those who think differently than you do. Maybe he would say, watch out against the influences of our materialistic society that care much more for things than for people. That teach that the more you have, the greater your life will be. And maybe he would say, be on your guard because if you buy into their ideology, you will totally miss Jesus' word that says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Either you believe it or you don't. And if you don't believe it, you've bought into a lie. Or maybe he will say, be on your guard with the shows that you watch or the music that you listen to that has corrupted you by normalizing sex and violence and greed. I just love the beat. I just love the way they sound. Yeah, but it's slowly corrupting your faith. Or maybe he would say, watch out for religious legalists who don't care about grace or mercy Or maybe television preachers who beg for money so they can buy private jets. Or for people who teach that drugs and alcohol and porn are a healthy way to cope with your real trauma. Be on your guard. Be on your guard. Be on your guard against every worldview the world has to offer. Because if you allow it in your heart, it will corrupt your soul. I feel personally passionate about this because I have found myself... I would say over the last couple of years, swayed back and forth by so many people that I've listened to about every sort of subject. And I I find it, I find that, you know, sometimes I listen to like a podcast of good information, good information. At the end of the day, it makes me angry towards people that I should love. 
or it makes me want to divide or to cut off people and go, you're stupid. I find myself doing that, man. I listen to something and I'm like, I just need to tell those people. And it's like, what is wrong with you, dude? But I saw myself being corrupted from the inside out because I was not watching the things I was listening and watching and, and, and absorbing in my life. Be on your guard. That's what Jesus is saying. Watch out. Be on your guard. Otherwise, it will corrupt your whole life. Well, that's the verse, right? That's deep, man. That's so powerful. That whole concept that Jesus is saying is so powerful. And then the disciples respond. They discussed with one another and said, is it because we have no bread? <laughs> what? <laughs> you think Jesus is angry because you forgot lunch. And in that way, they missed the whole meaning of the warning. They thought Jesus was talking about actual bread. They just heard the word yeast. And they were like, bread? Oh, no, we only have one loaf. <laughs> you know, it's a scary thing to think that Jesus could be warning us. And because we are preoccupied, we could totally miss the point. I think Jesus could be speaking to some of you today. And some of you are caught up in some ideologies that are hurting your own lives and you are not really thinking. You're thinking I'm talking about someone else. I'm not. I'm talking about you. And you think, wow, someone, you know, my, my wife really needs to listen to this. No, I'm talking to you. This is why influence, this concept is so insidious because we can be blinded, so blinded by the voices that we hear that we can't even tell that we've already been corrupted. See, if this type of thing happened to Jesus, I really have no hope at all. I could say, you know, we need to watch out against political divisiveness. And, and someone will say to me, you know, that's right. These Republicans are trying to destroy democracy. And I'll say to you, you did not even get the point. You totally misunderstood. I wasn't talking to anyone else. I was actually talking to you the whole time. But this is where we are, you know. We listen to it and we're like, oh, man, he really needs to... Yeah, those, those guys, I really need to speak to them. This isn't a warning for your neighbor. This isn't a warning for your spouse. This isn't a warning for, your, for your, your friend. This isn't a warning for the guy you're discipling. This isn't a warning, you know, for the people in your ministry or for the people in your community group. This is a warning for you, and it's a warning for me. We all need to listen to this because we all view life from, the, for, from our own preoccupations and the, and the things we're distracted by. And that's discouraging, and, and, but it's true. So be warned. Watch out. I treasure Jesus because he is so patient with these guys. He then unpacks. He goes, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, oh, gosh. <laughs> this is what I imagine him doing. Why, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not, under, do you still not see and un, or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Guys, are you not, are you not getting it? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of bread did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. What is he saying? He's saying, if this was about, I can make lunch happen. <laughs> I'm very good at this. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? 
They answered, seven? I can make bread. I'm just trying to train your thinking. I'm trying to help you understand things. And then he ends with kind of a, just like a, oh man, this is so deep, right? He just gavels it down. This is the end of the discussion. He said to them, do you still not understand? Are you missing it? See, until you see the vulnerability of your mind, you will never guard against the corrupting influences of the world. Until you realize that you are able to be corrupted, you will never guard yourself against that same corruption. This is a message for all of us. Be on your guard with what you expose yourself to. Or as I said in the beginning, we should pay careful attention to the voices we allow to influence us. Paul's work has some connection to this. He actually has a way out. See, if I was with Jesus that day, I would have asked him questions. I would have said, Jesus, how do I do this? How do I guard my heart against this? Maybe I would have said, I have no bread, but, but in my, the best parts of me would have said, how do I do it? And I think Paul has some great teaching on this. And so we're going to use Paul as a way to think about a new, our, our application to this lesson. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. We demolish arguments and every pretension. Think about that. We destroy external arguments that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. What's the application? Every thought is caught and then taught to be in full submission to the gospel of Christ. Every thought, everything we see, we catch it, we decipher it, we interpret it, and then we either demolish it or we deposit it into our psyche. That's our job. That's our job. Every idea that comes across our minds, we watch it, we hear it on the news, we hear it in the music we listen to, we hear it in the podcast or in the, in the books that we engage with, and we go, okay, is this connected to the gospel of Jesus? No, it needs to be demolished, taken out, taken behind the barn and shot. You know, this needs to be destroyed in my life. If it says I should hate my brother or sister, or, ah, uh, okay, their ideology is stupid because they're blind and dumb and weak. No, 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 no. That needs to be crushed because Jesus died for us to be unified. If the idea says, oh, I, I should be able to do this and it doesn't really matter, those ideas should be caught and then destroyed before they're deposited in our minds. And if they're good, then amen. We elevate them, we make them beautiful, and we put them into our thinking. That's our job. And here's another encouragement based on the passage. You notice how it says we demolish arguments? I think this is because you can't do this alone. Some of us are already so blind to this. So blind to it that we need someone else to look at us and go, hey, dude, you, you are really struggling. You have connected your life to an ideology, and that ideology has really ruined your ability to be unified with people. We need someone else to, to tell us because it's, 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 we've been so blinded by it. And so let, let's talk about how this works, right? We catch every thought and then we teach it to be submissive to the gospel. How does it work? Here's some examples. Well, someone might think, it's okay to watch shows with nudity. You might think that. And if you do, I'm talking to you. And your mind should go, no. If I look at a woman lustfully, I've already committed adultery in my heart. 
I think it's okay to do this. No, 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 no. It's not okay to do that. Because the scriptures are so clear. I'm not allowed. I, 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 if I do that, it's going to corrupt my purity. You might think, I'm just an anxious person. Maybe you've said this. You know, I can't overcome. I'm just an anxious person. No, no, no. That's, that's not right. You struggle with anxiety. But by the power of the Spirit and the love and support of others, I will not be anxious about anything. But through prayer and petition, I will lay my request before God. I'm not just going to be okay with being a sinful person. You know, it's fine. I've sinned, but, you know, I'm just a sinful person. No, 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 no. We don't, we don't do that. You might say to yourself, you know, it doesn't matter if I, you know, tell coarse jokes or, or speak inappropriately or curse with my coworkers. It's not a big deal. And I would say, no, 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 no. The scriptures have a very clear answer for you too. I will not let any unwholesome talk come out of my mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it might benefit anyone who listens. You might say, it doesn't matter who I date. And I would say, of course it does. Because you, will, you should not be willing to tie your life and your destiny to someone with no faith in God. It's okay to tell that little white lie, no. When I lie, I speak the devil's language. No one can judge the way I live. You know, I'm part of the church, but no one can judge. No, as far as what Paul says, what business is mine to judge those outside of the church? Yeah, so if you're outside of the church, I have no judgment of you. Then he says, are we not supposed to judge those inside the church? To help guide them, direct them back to righteousness? You may think I can live however I want, or I can dress however I want, or I can do whatever I want, or I can give however I want. And again, the words of God will clarify that because Christ is not part of your life. Christ is your life. And we can go on and on and on, but every thought that pops in our mind, we need to take, capture, catch it, teach it, and then decide whether it needs to be destroyed or deposited into our hearts and mind. We test every thought before we allow it to get inside. Why? Because our hearts and our minds are a vulnerable place. And God has designed our minds to be a place for love and truth and grace and gentleness and peace and mercy and kindness and compassion and joy is supposed to dwell, but it's vulnerable. So watch out. Beware. Watch your mind and what you allow to influence you. That's the lesson here. Hope you get something from it. We're going to end here with a song that I love. Um, we're going to invite the worship team up. It's, it's a song that speaks of the failings of our faith. It's this line. It says, it, it, it op- the, the verse opens the same way over and over again. It says, when my love to Christ grows weak, then to deeper faith I seek. And it has these lines. But when my, when my love for Christ grows weak, what should I do? And I love this, this song because what it says is every time your love for Christ grows weak or every time your brain struggles or you have wrong ideas deposited in your mar- heart and mind, what should you do? Go to the cross. You go to the gospel. And that's the training here for all of us. When we're really struggling, we go to the gospel for some relief from the struggles we have.